This is Sean Mandoli, and you're listening to the Hopeland Church Podcast. I hope you encounter God and walk in new levels of freedom as a result of listening to this message. Enjoy. All right, here we go, folks. Happy August, new month, new sermon series, and we're jumping into this one today. And um, it's called, um, I Got Questions. And so what we just felt led to do this month, and um, we hope it's God. I, I, don't, I don't think it's not God, but we really just adjusted the approach of what we're going to do this month a couple times just because we were praying and processing and thinking about it. And we just kind of wanted to continue with some of the um, really basic uh, things concerning what it means to be a Christian and kind of go into some of the roots, the real root system of, of what it means to be a Christian, what is the church. And in talking about this, you know, hence the title of the sermon series, I Got Questions, you know, um, we're going to talk about what these things are not, right? And so um, I hope this ministers to you this month. I hope it helps ground you in faith, root you even more in faith. And as a result, you grow and just even become more settled in who you are as a believer and your identity in Christ. Okay, so here we go. Father, we thank you for today and your word. And we pray, God, that we are truly established in your word today, grounded, rooted in Jesus all the more. And we thank you for this moment, and we ask your blessing to be on it. Lord, bless this word and minister to us today. Feed us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right, here we go. So what is a Christian? So we're going to talk about what is a Christian. So let's let's talk about what it isn't. And um, not that these things don't matter, but it's not who we really are. I think sometimes we, we confuse context with identity, right? Or we confuse the main thing with stuff that is not the main thing, or we confuse, or we major on the minors and minor on the majors, right? So here we go. So what is a Christian? That's what I'm talking about today. I know this is basic, and I, I'm not assuming you don't know this, but um, maybe it's a reminder, hopefully at least a reminder to you or just an encouragement um, to you. And maybe even my hope is that just as we get into the word and we see that just the simplicity of faith, the simplicity of grace, the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of what it means to be a Christian. And my hopes and prayer is that this is actually liberating to you, freeing. All right, so here we go. So what a Christian isn't, how about we start with that? It's not defined by the method of a church service, by a specific expression of worship, nor is it defined by denomination, okay? Or these kind of separate expressions and denominations that are in the kingdom of God, all right? And so... Um, and sometimes we associate Christian with the way we do church 
or the method of the particular denomination, whether that's Methodist, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, charismatic, non-denominational, um, all those things for all intents and purposes, and I know there's nuances of those, but those many times are just different approach and method toward church, um, but they don't necessarily define us as Christian, right? So freedom in Christ is not exclusively defined by expression or method. Uh, Christian is not defined by a political party. Uh, being a Christian is not defined by the specific, um, you know, style of worship or, or type of music, right? Um, I understand that in all of music, you can define, you can separate worship from secular, right? But when we're speaking of worship itself in the, in the, if I can call it a category, the category of worship, style or expression does not define Christian, right? So it's not defined, um, you know, and, and sometimes like, sorry, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this before I'm going to say what's in my notes here, but sometimes even people from my generation, you know, the older we get, right, we're always kind of looking back and saying, man, church isn't what it used to be. And much of what we're talking about is just a method and approach of what we're used to. And so that, that can happen in any kind of part of this, of society, right? Depending on even some cultural things, we'll look back and go, man, you know, I, I could sit here all day and say, man, skateboarding isn't what it used to be, right? But the thing about culture is it's a moving part, constantly moving, evolving, and changing. And, um, you know, so what, so when regards to Christian, and maybe more specifically, in regards to when I got saved, came to faith, started walking with Jesus and was a part of, you know, local church community, right? You know, so so being a Christian isn't defined by, you know, the era you come from, right? The generation you come from, because those expressions and methods are going to evolve. There are things that don't and shouldn't, these eternal things and aspects as to who Christ is, the word of God, and the Holy Spirit, right, in our worship to Jesus alone, all right, um, in all the things that we're going to kind of talk about here. But, but as far as like, you know, sometimes if we're not careful, even as believers, we can start to look back on the glory days. And there's nothing wrong with being dear to, you know, the amazing things that happened a couple decades ago, or one decade for that matter. Or even some people are like, man, it ain't what it used to be pre-COVID. Well, we're not in pre-COVID, folks. Um, God has not changed. His word has not changed. And so being a Christian isn't defined on how we used to do things. Amen. All right. So let's stop trying to bring back the good old days, um, you know, of, of, of our era or generation. You know, God is doing something today. He is speaking today. He is doing a new thing. He is present. He is here. Uh, God does not reminisce the way we do, right? So the point is here is that God is a generational God, meaning he is present in every generation and he is doing something. He is saving. He is healing. He is moving. He is doing what he does, what he promised he would do. 
And so he is alive and well, all right, um, in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is alive and well here in the earth. Can I get an amen? All right, so we can go on and on about what a Christian isn't, but now we're going to talk about um, what it is. Um, and I know I could go on forever and ever about this, but I just wanted to share just some basics, so uh, a few basic things. I wanted to talk about what a Christian is um, theologically, all right, what a Christian is in behavior, and what a Christian is in practice. So we're going to talk about three things, right? We're going to talk about theology, the theology um, that determines Christian or the belief, the, the, the right belief concerning what a Christian is, um, scripturally speaking. And then we're going to talk about behavior. What, how does a Christian behave? I know in these things we could talk on and on and on about, but I'm just going to kind of give you maybe honestly a snapshot of this, okay? And then we're going to talk about practice. Um, in the outflow of life, what does a Christian do, all right? So here we go. What does a Christian believe? How does a Christian behave? And what does a Christian do? Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to say it again because it just feels good saying it. But we're going to talk about this. What is a Christian? We're going to talk about what a Christian believes as far as theology is concerned, how a Christian behaves, and the practice of a Christian, the, the works of a Christian. What does a Christian do? So first and foremost... And we talk about just the theology, and here it is. Um, and it's very basic, okay? But concerning the theology of what a Christian is, is salvation is both a divine work and human surrender. Okay, so we see this in the scripture. It is both and. It is both and. It is not either or. Uh, this is God's grace and our response to that. This is the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we repent. This is God's choosing and our choice. Okay, where does sovereignty begin and human will begin? Or where do they meet? How do they meet? When do they come into play? I don't know, but they do. Okay, they do. Um, it is both and. And so let's just look at this. Let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, this is one of my favorite portions of scripture on salvation because it really breaks it down. I just read the scripture. It's going to say it all right here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to verse 10. Uh, when we were doing Bible study um, this year, earlier this year, this is a scripture we would open up our Bible study with every single time. Just to remind people that salvation is a work of grace. Salvation is a work of divine grace. Okay, so here we go. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. There we go. Verse six, and he raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is all grace, folks. He made us sit together his kindness toward us, raised us up together, saved by grace. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive, okay? 
So if somebody said grace, I mean grace, grace, and more grace. This is God. This is his heart. This is what he does. He's the savior, not us. We don't save ourselves. We don't save ourselves. He saves us. Okay, so verse seven, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse nine, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so that's why my point here was salvation is both a divine work, it's a divine work and human surrender. It is, it is, it is a sovereign act on the human heart. How that happens, the way that happens, we can see in the scriptures that that's why we pray for people because I believe our prayers, our prayers, we can pray for people to get saved. I believe God answers our prayer, right? And so that's why we want to pray for people, that they would encounter the grace of God. Um, but here, as we see, I mean, just verse after verse after verse here in Ephesians. I mean, this is a literal work of grace, all right? And so um, Augustine, one of the early church fathers, we're talking fourth, fifth century here, a theologian, he said it this way concerning himself when he got saved. He said, and, and then he, in his writing, he was writing a prayer, and he said this, you called me, you cried aloud to me, you broke my barrier of deafness, you shone upon me, your radiance enveloped me, you put my blindness to flight, okay? Say this with me, say salvation is a work of grace, okay? And so, as it says here in Ephesians, that for by grace you've been saved, this is verse eight and nine, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That, that right there in that verse, it speaks of grace and then our response. Saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of us. It's not humanistic. It's not like, it's not, hu it's not, entirely just me I, I don't I don't drum this up I'm not creating this I'm touched by the master open my eyes convicted me of my sin and then therein lies my decision to repent turn accept him put my trust faith give him my life right so for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is the gift. It's a work. Divine grace. It is the gift of God. It is a gift. It is given. It is given. What do we do with gifts? We receive it. Somebody say, work of grace and human surrender. How do we surrender? Receive the gift. How, are we, how do we receive our identity in Christ as we learned last month? It's received, not achieved. It's a gift of God. Verse nine, not of works, not of works. It doesn't come from works. Works don't begin salvation. God does, and we respond to it. Lest anyone should boast. There's no cause of boasting in our salvation. 
as if we are somebody, as if we have done something great, as if we've somehow achieved this status. We've somehow performed to get this. No, that is not what it means to be a Christian. We are a Christian. First and foremost, at the onset, because divine grace has touched our soul, has transformed our human soul, we are changed. We are changed by the touch of God. Okay, so the so once again, I'm going to read a bunch of things that are good things, but the acts of these things do not save us because it says in Ephesians, it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse nine, not of works, not of works. So here we go. Let's just go down this list. The act of baptism does not save you or the act of you or somebody baptizing another does not save them. Baptizing babies does not save them. Somebody say amen. The act of church attendance does not save you, right? Going to church does not mean you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. Like that and that alone is not like, I wanna go to heaven, so I'll go to church, because if I go to church, I'll go to heaven. Somebody say, we need God to transform our heart and our soul. Like we need the touch of grace. Okay, here we go. The acts of humanitarian aid or justice do not save us. Those are great, but doing things for other humans does not save us. We cannot perform. Having Christian friends does not save us. I think we all need some Christian friends. We all might need a little bit more Christian friends or friends that are more Christian, <laughs> right? But, but, but the point is having the right people around you, quote unquote, the right people, the God, godly people, that can help. I mean, I'm not saying not to do that. I'm just saying the act, the, the, the fact that I got somebody around me that's a Christian, that means I'm gonna go to heaven because I'm their friend. No, there's one mediator between God and man, the, the man, Christ Jesus, not your Christian friends. So, so here's another one. Being a conservative slash moral person does not save you, right? Um, does not save you because we pick and choose the morals that we have a propensity to like. And just because somebody might seem conservative from a, from a societal standpoint or, you know what I'm saying, conservative from what a particular society would say is conservative, conservative does not equate to Christ, right? So conservative pop politically, um, you know, conservative morally. If it's just morals and conservatism, that does not mean Christian. Uh, why? Because a Christian is somebody that has a relationship with Jesus, that has been changed by Jesus, that has seen him. That per you must, as Jesus told Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again. There must be a born again experience and some sort of encounter with God. Okay, so uh, everything I just said for the most part, very well is good things, but those works or acts do not save us, okay? So also, here's another way to put it, holding to what we would call in our society Judeo-Christian values from a societal viewpoint does not save you, okay? I got friends and I got family actually that are probably more conservative than me from a societal viewpoint. 
but that don't mean they know who Jesus is, <laughs> right? So, so, right, you know what I'm saying? So, it, or, or liberal for that matter, whatever. Uh, justice driven does not equate to salvation. Conservatism does not equate to salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. That, not of ourselves. Not by works, lest anybody should boast. So I got some questions. I got questions. Come on, look at the person next to you and tell them I got questions. Because all of those things are good. I mean, for the most part, right? Like, meaning they're not bad, but they don't mean you're a Christian. They don't mean you're a Christian, right? Just because we ascribe to a a state religion, or back in the ancient world, in the you know Greco-Roman world, in the Roman Empire, when the Roman Empire in 315, well, early fourth century, became a Christian Christian state, they called it the official religion, and that, as much as it poured a bunch of money into the church and all this stuff and gave them all this power. Um, that, that, that does not define the church. Jesus did not die to create a religious state. That's just not what it means to be Christian. Like, in all honesty, um, a, an entity can't be Christian. Um, I understand that you might be running a business and it's like you sell Christian t-shirts or you're a Christian business owner and you do things morally and you want to glorify God and you pray before you start your business day. I'm not, okay, I, I get it. But the entity itself is not a Christian. Somebody say amen. It's like the entity itself is not washed in the blood, right? The entity itself is not filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because, I mean, come on now. It's Jesus died for people. Jesus died to forgive people. Like, an entity can't be forgiven of their sin. Jesus did not come to earth, die, suffer a sinner's death, raise the third day, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and sent the Holy Spirit to fill some sort of organization. Somebody needs to say amen. He died for people. He dwells in human hearts. He does not dwell in temples made with human hands. I'm not saying Christians can't do those things, but those things are things, not the human soul. Somebody say amen. So I got questions. Number one, it you might be representative of one of these things, like Maybe you got Christian friends. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you're a conservative. Maybe you have Judeo-Christian values. Maybe, uh, you know, you've been baptized. But here's my question. I got questions now. I got questions. Do you know Jesus? Right? Like, do you know him? And I'm not saying this to challenge people or to question their salvation. I'm just saying, I think this is, this is the question to ask, right? Like, do you know Jesus? Right? Um, you know, it's kind of like, how have you encountered the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, every person that encountered God had, has had a very specific story as to what had happened. 
right? And every encounter is unique. Um, but there is something that has happened, right? So, or here we go. Here's another question we could ask. What was the state of your mind and soul prior to salvation? Is, is it definable? Like you look at the Apostle Paul, right? Definable on his road to Damascus. You know, the, 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 the early church is definable. The, the woman at the well, when Jesus met her, like encounter Jesus, definable, change. Woman caught in the act of adultery. The woman that wept at the feet of Jesus inside of uh, Simon the Pharisee's house. Just, just powerful encounter with God. Every story unique, but they were changed. Okay? It's kind of like this, man. Explain your salvation experience. Do they, does it have to be like the wild, out there, outlandish kind of thing? No, but is there one? Right? Is there one? Is there a change? Is can you talk about your before Christ days? And then is there a difference? Somebody say amen. All right, here we go. Romans. I'm gonna read some more verses here. Somebody say, Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Here we go. Romans 10, verse 9 to 13. Another real foundational verse here on the basics of salvation. Okay? Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made into salvation. Okay. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There it is. Simple. Here's some other. Um, two more verses concerning grace here. Titus 2, verse 11. Grace and salvation, inseparable. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it goes on to say in this verse, um, as it goes on, uh, Titus 2, 11, 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, right? So, but for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hallelujah. Somebody say grace. Here's another one, 1 Peter 1, 10. Of this salvation, so say when we say salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the Grace that would come to you. Grace, unmerited favor. Grace, divine influence on the heart. Grace, okay? Um, here's my next point. Grace has come to us. Come to us. That's salvation. Grace has come. Grace, divine influence on the heart. Grace, grace that would come to you. Grace has come to us. All right, grace has come to us. And the, the definition, one of the definitions of grace is, is divine influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. So as a believer, when grace touches us, we are changed. We are changed. We are changed. We do repent. We turn from our sin. We're changed. We're a new creation in Christ. Grace changes us.
supernatural interior on the inside. It's not this just existential works. Grace is on the interior. Salvation is on the interior. Salvation touches the deep parts of our soul, literally regenerates our soul, makes us new. We are, we are truly regenerated. New life. I'm a new person, literally, okay? And so the, the very definition of grace means this, that it's divine influence on the heart and it's reflection in the life. I mean, that fruit comes as a result. That, 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 that first grace and then second fruit. First, the planting of the seed of the word of God in us, grace. Then what happens? Fruit. We start to behave different. It's not overnight. I believe certain things are. I mean, they are. And then others are a process, but we are changed. All right? So at salvation, thus begins the journey of being sanctified and walking with God and bearing fruit and stewarding that divine seed that's been planted in our heart. And so, you know, all throughout the scripture, you know, you just look all over, man, from Jesus and the gospels to the parable of the seed, the sower sows the word, to the fruit of the spirit in Galatians, um, and all of just the letters that Paul wrote concerning our walk and walking things out, and walking in deliverance and healing and maturing and going on to maturity in Hebrews and moving on to perfection, just growing and developing in our faith. And so here we go. You know, grace has come to us, but, you know, um, let me read this. Let me read this verse here. Um, let's do this one. Luke chapter three, verse eight. Okay, it says this. This is um, John the Baptist speaking to the, Jewish community that was coming to be baptized by him. And he said, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance or bear fruits in keeping up with repentance or challenging them, live the life that lives up to your profession or confession, right? So he said, therefore, hey guys, you're gonna get baptized. Bear fruits worthy, worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And so he's challenging them and say, hey, basically, man, God's going to touch the Gentiles, right? And they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna start bearing fruit. And he's saying, man, you guys need to bear fruit, okay? And um, the Bible goes on just, there's, there's a couple other um, portions of verses. Um, I'll give them to you here, but I won't read them in their entirety. But just so you have the Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, um, this is Jesus now, and he's talking to the, to the Jewish community, and he's like, man, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, okay? Um, and he was saying how it's gonna be given to a people, a nation, bearing the fruits of it. So as Christians, we not only encounter grace, but as a result of that grace, we begin to bear fruit unto God. And also in Romans chapter seven, verse four, I won't read it in its entirety, but you can look it up. Um, you know, we'll have it here in the, in, the, in the notes and in the chat here. But um, uh, in, in Romans, he's speaking to, in a Jewish context to those people. And he's saying, man, because of Christ, we're dead to the law now, guys. We don't, this isn't by works, right? We're, we're dead to the law. We, we're, 
we now, because Christ fulfilled it, we can now, because of Jesus and grace and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we now are part of the body of Christ. We are, we are not married to the law. We are married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Right? He's, he's talking in this context of them. And then he, in this verse, in Romans 7, verse 4, I'll read the last part of that verse. It says, to him, speaking of Christ, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So what is a Christian? Christian is somebody that has encountered Jesus. And a Christian is somebody who bears the fruit of that divine seed. Grace, influence on the heart, divine influence on the heart, and its reflection in the life. All right, so here it is. My next, my next point here is behavior. Behavior. What is a Christian? Theologically, we kind of broke that down a little bit, but now behavior. Bear the fruit of your profession, okay? So Christians aren't just Christians because they've confessed Christ, they've encountered him, but Christians actually bear fruit. We're all in a process, but the Bible says, man, you don't know authenticity based on what someone says. You know it based on their fruit. You know the tree by the fruit. What does that mean? That what is produced in their life? What do you see? Not what do they say, but what do you see? Christians have fruit that testify, that speak of what they have already said. All right, so here we go. Let's read a couple of verses here quickly. James chapter three, verse eight to verse 12. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Verse nine, with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, who's he talking to? Christians. These things ought not to be so. They are, but they shouldn't be. What's he saying? Hey, Christians, you're saved by grace. Hey, early church folks, this is, this is James, church leader, early church leader, man. And he's like, hey guys, this ought not to be. All right, you ought to be doing better than this. Challenging them a little bit. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Verse 12, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. What was he doing? Challenging their lifestyle. Challenging their behavior. And let me challenge you a little bit. Let's be fruit-bearing Christians. If, if we got stuff coming out of our mouth that is not glorifying God, come on now. Let's change that. Let, let, let's press on to maturity. If we got words and things coming out of our mouth and it's not fresh water, it's salt water. It's not blessing, but it's cursing. Hey, Christians, hey, we're Christians. By They're gonna say we're Christians by our love for one another. That's fruit, man. That ain't what I say, that's what I do. All right, that's what I do. Okay, here we go, let's go to another one. Now, these are just a couple verses showing in the early church how 
And I don't want to, I'm not trying to beat you up here and I don't want you to beat yourself up. But the point is, we are Christians, but we got work to do, right? We, we got some deliverance that we might need, some healing we might need, some, some more maturing to do. And that's why James is like, hey man, this ought not be. This shouldn't be. What's he saying? Hey, behavior, Christian represents Christ. And hey, we're going to mess up. We're going to fall short. But let's repent. Let's be honest. And let's, let's give ourselves to God so we can be free of this stuff, so we can truly represent him all the more and all the better. Come on now. I think everybody, including myself, can represent Jesus a little better than I currently am. Come on now, because a Christian just isn't a Christian based on theology. A Christian is a Christian because they bear the fruit that a Christian ought to bear. As James told the church here, hey guys, this ought not to be. And he was correlating. He was using, um, you know, uh, analogy of, of speaking of certain trees should bear a certain type of fruit. Jesus himself said, you know the tree by the fruit. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's grow. Let, 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 let's, let's change. Let's be changed. Let's represent him well. Come on now. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, all the way to verse 11. Let's go. Do you not know that the unrighteous, speaking of people living a lifestyle of sin, um, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. They either fornicators, which is people having sex outside of marriage, idolaters, meaning in some context, the worship of any other person, place, or thing other than God. Adulterers, those that are married, having sex with somebody else that they're not married to, nor homosexuals, that is sexual relations with those of the same sex, nor sodomites, which is closely tied to homosexuality in this context. Um, verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, or partiers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the main thing I wanted to get to. Verse 11, and such were, were some of you. Were some of you. Were some of you. He's like, man, he's talking to the Corinthian church. Corinthian church is wild. Yeah, a lot of issues. And here, you kind of see it right here. He lists a bunch of stuff there, man. He listed a bunch of sins, sinful lifestyle. And he's saying, man, don't be deceived. This lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? And he's saying such were some of you. What is, this, what is he saying? Saved. Behavior change. Lifestyle change. Right? And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. What is a Christian? We talked about theology, behavior. This is tied in closely to behavior, but practice, practice. Faith without works is dead. So we are Christians, theologically speaking, and in truth, because of the grace of God and our response to that. And a Christian lives a life that behavior is different, it's different. It's not perfect. Jesus is the only perfect one. But I might not be changed. I'm sorry, I might not be perfect, but I have been changed. You might not be perfect, but you have been changed. Regeneration, 
It is, it is one of the benefits of the atonement. Atonement meaning the blood of Jesus being shed for us is, is regeneration. That I am truly and eternally made new. Okay? And here we go, practice. What do Christians do? You know, and I think we know this, but Christians worship. Christians gather. Christians pray. Christians serve. These works don't save us, but because we're saved, we do these works. These are works. These are things we do. This is what Christians do. Christians worship. Christians gather. Christians pray. Christians serve. Right? My salvation and position in Christ is intimate and personal. But it is not individualistic and independent of the body. Can I get an amen, somebody? Here we go. James, again, chapter 1, verse 21 to 27. I'm going to read this quickly. James 1, 21 to 27. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 22, but be doers. Somebody say practice. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing himself, his natural face in a mirror. And for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he, he was. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. James, of course, is such a good book to look at when it comes to practice and behavior because it is about bearing fruit as believers. My last point is this, make an effort to be about it. Let's just not be Christians that talk the talk. Let's walk the walk. Once again, let's make an effort to be about it. All right, folks, I hope that encouraged you and um, spoke to your heart and hopefully just encouraged you in, in some of the basics of what this is and, and what it means to be a Christian, right? And show, and what it is to not be a Christian, like what, what a Christian isn't. And so uh, let me pray for you here. I want to pray for you. Father, I, I thank you, Lord, for everybody joining in today. And I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, God, that they would just be rooted in you. And all the other stuff that maybe they thought what it means to be a Christian, maybe they thought that some of these things is who we are and it's not really. And and, and Lord, I pray that you would bring light to who we are, the the simplicity of grace and faith, the simplicity of, of receiving Christ and then bearing fruit unto God as a result. I pray for everyone here that they would be fruit-bearing Christians, that, they, that their life would exude the quality of Christ. Lord, that we would represent you well, God, in behavior and in practice. God, in our attitude, in our mind, our, our will, our emotions, uh, just our whole being, I pray, God, that we would represent you well, Jesus. 
that, that we would bring glory to you, not only with our words and our profession and confession, but God with our lifestyle. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. I love you, church. I hope you enjoyed the message. And my prayer is that you will change your world as a result. If you're ever in the LA area, join us for one of our weekend gatherings. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Peace.